The Power of Sound, a Monocle 24 collaboration with KEF. Move a little to the right. There's a rope. Grab it with your hand and carry straight on. My name is Ben Ringham. I'm a composer and sound designer. I work with my brother. My name is Max Ringham. I'm a composer and sound designer. We've done a lot of theatre shows like Barbarian Sound Studio, Blindness at the Donmar, and uh, before that, Anna at the National Theatre. Straight on until you come to small steps. There are six steps in all. I keep to the right. So hold on to the wall. I can't let those guards see that I can see. They're watching. The house that we grew up in was very loud. There were four of us children and our father was very heavily into Baroque. Listened to an awful lot of Baroque and classical music. It was always on in the house. He would walk from room to room, putting the radio on in different rooms and leaving them on. But also there were four of us as, as young people, all very interested in music. And there was a constant sort of battle between things like ACDC and Duran Duran and Prince and um, all kinds of things going on in the house. It was also quite a big sort of social hub. There were always loads of people in the house sitting, drinking cups of tea and smoking, the doorbell continually going, the telephone. So it was, it was quite a loud house to grow up in. At a young age, um, Max and I started, uh, well, mainly Max really started getting interested in synthesizers. And I was very interested in writing songs. And so the two of us would laughingly, uh, what we called the studio, we started building when I was about 10 or 11 years old in our shared bedroom. And it's been a very organic process to what our career has turned into. And so therefore those conversations have dictated how we hear sounds throughout our entire life. We find that we have a, uh, almost our own language with each other about what we're talking about. Quite often we'll be talking with a director about a project and we'll understand what each other are talking about and they won't. It's quite worrying in a lot of ways, actually. Our first experience of, of 3D sound was in Shunt. Shunt were a collective of artists, performance artists, that came together in the late 90s with the idea of making large-scale shows that were immersive. The Shunt mission, st mission statement was about exploring the live experience. It was kind of about creating environments within which things happened. It was a member of Shunt that first introduced us to Binaural. We worked on a show, in a, a, a small show inside the vaults using uh, binaural sound. That was our sort of first experience of it. And we were, it, it was introduced to us as a tool that we could use. And uh, we we're sort of immediately excited by the possibilities of how we could unseat an audience and confuse them and disorientate them. We can have someone come right up behind you and whisper in your ear. That was just such a, a brilliant thing to play with. So um, straight away we were kind of aware of that this was an incredibly powerful thing that you could use to, to manipulate people in audiences. 
there was a very specific moment personally for me where we were working on a show called Tropicana with Shunt. And up to that point, we'd already done two rather large shows with them before. But there was a point in Tropicana specifically where I really felt like this was something that I really enjoyed doing. And that was when we set up a, a sound system down what we called the long corridor, which had multiple outputs. And we set up a big sonic scene where a helicopter flew down uh, this corridor while bombs were going off and and it wasn't it was never meant for the show and it would never made it into the show we did it just to just to test the sound system and it was so exhilarating and i thought and and i still get that when we do big shows. My favourite point of any show is the night before we start teching it and we have the sound system all working and then we can play with it in the way that we choose to play with it. So that true, like, three-dimensional soundscape that you can create in a theatre is the most exhilarating moment of any production. And, And that was the moment for me where I decided that I really enjoyed doing sound design. Anna was a place set in East Germany in 1968 and it was utilising binaural sound to experience the story from the single perspective of Anna as she moved through her apartment while a party was taking place. Binaural sound is a way of recording in which you use a microphone where you have two microphones in the approximate position of your ears and when it's played back through headphones it gives quite a startling effect of hearing a 3d landscape around you and uh, as if your ears are in that situation have you met the new boss man herr neumann no what's he like um, he's very handsome terrible kisser <laughs> working on anna for the national we were we were a long time in development on that show four years of workshops before we actually got to production and the thing that we went to the National Theatre with was we want to use this technology and we want to use it to tell a story and that was that was kind of our starting point something that was very narratively driven and we thought we would try planting microphones on the lead character one over each ear and creating binaural that way and and that was quite a transformative thing for us in that process because with binaural, generally, you're put in the perspective of someone and it's generally a passive character. And we wanted to see what happened if you were in the perspective of an, of an active character. So Anna was this very active character who who had a lot of agency in, in the piece and would respond to other characters and, and was the driving force behind the narrative. And we put you in her perspective. And, and that was quite a transformative I- idea for us. The, that you can have a character who is essentially a binaural microphone, but that has a, a really strong part to play in this in this piece. And the kind of experiments that followed on from that is like, okay, well, if you're in this person's perspective, then what happens if this person goes off stage? And that becomes a really exciting idea. And we, we discovered that it could sustain that. So the the show that we actually created in the end with Anna was was this one where 
half of the set was unseen. So it was it was a flat and the performances behind glass and you can see you can see the lounge and you can see part of the kitchen, but you can't see into the bedroom. You can't see into you can see a bit of the hallway and you can't see into the bathroom. And these are all spaces within which action happened. And once the audience got the idea that you're in this person's perspective, that we could then take her and put her in the bathroom and listen to her brush her teeth or or be sick as she was at one point, or, uh, or, you know, she can go off into the bedroom and you can hear her tell a story to her partner. And in the meantime, you're watching what's going on in the lounge, which, which is completely incongruous with what you're hearing. But yet somehow it's able to sustain it. And you're able to split your focus like that. And you're able to, to split the, the reality between what you're seeing and what you're hearing and be able to hold both those things in your head and also to have one contextualise the other. I like this dress. This dress likes you. When did you get it? I don't think you really care when I got it. I think you only care about when I get out of it. You need to shave. I need to shave. I need to shave. We're going to be late. Your colleagues are going to think that I'm disorganised. One of the things I think sound can do really successfully in theatre is it can transport you in ways that, that other mediums can't. And sound can fill a space hugely and then you can flip that in an instant and be somewhere else completely. So in terms of kind of creating environments, set design can be extraordinary, it can be amazing, but the financial limitations of theatre mean that there are limits to what you can do with that. With sound, you can be in a forest one minute and a beach the next and then in the middle of a busy city. Always when we're walking around, we're, we're listening. And I think, I think there is a kind of active listening that, that most sound designers you speak to would probably sort of recognise that, that you are suddenly much more aware of the, the sounds that are around you. And we all carry recorders with us now because even if even if we don't have uh, actual sound recorders, we all have phones. And, and Ben and I tend to record quite a lot when we're just out and about. There's a there's a recording of a broken fan from a Chinese restaurant that has that has featured in a lot of shows. And, you know, you'll be walking around streets of New York and there's the hum from the subway coming through the grate. And maybe you record that or, you know, all of these things end up in shows. Absolutely. I was in a hotel last year and I banged my head on a, a light shade and it was metal and it rang at a tone and so I recorded that and made that into an instrument. There was a particular uh, screechy gate that I, I recorded on my iPhone which made its way into about 15 shows over the following two years to the point where I had to stop using it because I was getting so annoyed <laughs> with myself. Yeah, and that's, that's the other thing that Ben and I do with these things is that when we record sounds, if we find sounds that are particularly interesting, we tend to make them into instruments using software and, and a, an awful lot of our... We have a sort of library of these instruments that we've created. There, there's a tendency amongst a lot of theatre composers to use the same tools in terms of, you know, software instruments. I think one thing that Ben and I have always really sought out is sounds that are individual and unique. 